family. Praise the Lord. Well, the Lord is gracious and good, and we're thankful for everyone. Glad to see you today. And so uh, we're going to pray and share the Word of God with you this morning. Believe that uh, good things will be transpiring in our life through it. Father, we give thanks today for the privilege of studying your Word together. We thank you that we can uh, take the Lord's Supper uh, communion together with you. Here, we ask that your presence would minister to each one of us, that we'd have clarity of understanding, clarity to speak. And we pray, Father God, that you'd be glorified in every way. Uh, Father God, this is your time. We're your people. We ask you to do your will in our lives. And uh, we thank you, Father, for everything that you have done in times past. Thank you for today. And we thank you for the great things that you've prepared for us in the future. We give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start there. Mark chapter 2. And, uh, of course, we normally take communion on the first Sunday of the month, but we had a youth event going on, and we uh, waited, and so we've ended up uh, moving that to this Sunday. <clears throat> Mark chapter 2. And I want to share with you today in regard to the effect of the importance of righteousness what the Word of God talks about as righteousness in our life. And uh, if that's a subject that you might be unfamiliar with or uh, that you're uh, thinking you need more understanding in, we'll, uh, I believe we'll achieve that today. But this story stood out to me uh, in Mark chapter 2. This is... Uh, a healing in the uh, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's read this. Uh, it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, And again he, uh, talking about Christ, entered into Capernaum, the city of Capernaum, after some days, and it was noised or broadcast that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. So this is a large crowd of people. <clears throat> uh, no, not so much as about the door. So you couldn't just get into the building. It was so crowded. And he preached the word unto them. And they come to him bringing one sick of the palsy. This was a man with palsy or was paralyzed, which was born or carried by four other people. Amy knows it's good to have faith friends. <clears throat> and so uh, he might not have been able to get there by himself, but he had four crazy faith friends that uh, hauled him to a healing meeting where Jesus was. And uh, you might have had someone... Uh, bring you to church this morning that's uh, a faith friend and uh, when they could not come nigh unto him they couldn't get to jesus for the press or the multitude they uh they went up on the roof and uncovered the roof 
where he was. So they tore uh, a hole in the roof. And uh, <clears throat> how many knows you don't tear a hole in the roof unless you're expecting something to happen? <laughs> and so uh, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So that would be like us having service this morning and dust and, uh, you know, noise begin to be on the roof. I know one morning, uh, real early in the morning, uh, I was here at the church studying earlier than normal and I kept hearing sounds on the roof. And so I was like, who would be on the roof of the church this early in the morning? <laughs> so it was so definite. I was like, somebody is on the roof. And, you know, occasionally, you know, kids from the apartment complex next door have gotten uh, uh, balls or something on the roof, and they've climbed up and gotten on there. And I kept hearing these noises. And so finally I was like, okay, I'm going to go see who's on the roof. So I went out the front door and around the fence and looked up on the roof, and there was two or three uh, buzzards <clears throat> up on the roof. And they were making noise right above my office. And, uh, you know, you say, well, did, were they coming for you? Did they? No. <laughs> so uh, anyway... Uh, that's a roof story that fit in here maybe. But anyway, they broke the roof up and uh, let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. It says, verse 5, when Jesus saw their, plural, faith. So uh, how many knows the man that uh, let them lower him down in a cot or a bed uh, he had to have faith. I mean, yeah, how many knows if you was paralyzed, them hauling you up on a roof and then tying your uh, cot up in ropes and letting you down, you would have to have some faith. <laughs> and then the other four guys had to have some faith to uh, actually bring him. But uh, Jesus saw their faith. And so, so often in these healings uh, that we have in the New Testament, the individual's faith is mentioned. And uh, this is when God does things, is when, uh, of course, we uh, trust Him and we have faith and believe Him that He's good and He will do things. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, notice what He said first to the man. Uh, how many knows the man needed healing? Right? But the first thing Jesus said to him was, Son, your sins be forgiven you. Amen? So Jesus didn't deal with his need for healing first. Jesus dealt with his need for forgiveness first. And so then he goes on ahead and says, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Like, who does this guy think he is? God in the flesh or something? And, uh, and of course he was. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Uh, whither is it easier to say to the sick of palsy, 
your sins are forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk. Which is easier for God, to forgive someone's sins or to heal someone's body? Well, both are easy with God. He made the universe. He made our bodies. He can heal our bodies. And thank God Jesus died for our sins. So it's not an either-or proposition. Both of those things, both healing and forgiveness, belong to the gospel, and Jesus did both. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, Psalms 103, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of mine iniquities. And in the same verse, you can't cut the verse in half, he said, And who healeth all my diseases. So healing and forgiveness go together and should not be separated. James chapter 5 verse 14 said, Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if he hath forgiven, if he hath committed sins, the Lord will forgive him. So healing and forgiveness go together. They're joined together. Can you say amen? And so both are part of the gospel. Uh, Which is easier, to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Uh, But that you may know that the Son of Man uh, hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Uh, This passage was striking to me, uh, again, for the reason I just mentioned earlier, that before Jesus actually healed this guy and helped this guy, he dealt with the fact that this man had unforgiven sin in his life. And he said to him, the very first thing was, your sins are forgiven you. And uh, I believe that sometimes, and the point that I'm making this morning is, is that uh, sin consciousness or our being aware of sin uh, is something that can hinder our faith from being operative right and cause us our faith to be paralyzed so that we don't receive and uh, if we have a sense of unworthiness or a sense of sin consciousness in our life then uh, we're not going to feel like we're worthy to receive God's blessings worthy to be healed or worthy to have our prayers answered But just like here, the first thing Jesus dealt with was sin consciousness in this man's life and got his sins forgiven so that uh, there was no condemnation or sin consciousness to him. Then uh, he received his healing. And there's a lot of people uh, that uh, have not received the blessings of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God because they haven't yet 
Let the power, the cleansing power of Christ's blood establish a consciousness of righteousness or of acquittal or of freedom in their life and uh, put them in a position then to receive from God. Because as long as we're thinking we're unworthy or we don't deserve things or we have shame or we have guilt or we have consciousness of sin in our life, then we don't feel uh, we're not going to be strong in prayer. We're not going to be strong in faith, right? But uh, I'm here to tell you the good news that there is a remedy for sin consciousness in our life, and that remedy is the cleansing power of Christ's shed blood. And that what, you know, like the old song says, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we can receive if we exercise faith in the power of Christ's blood. Somebody ought to say amen there. There is no sin and nothing that's been done that's greater than the blood and the power that's in Christ's blood. And so it don't matter where you've been, what you've done, uh, how many mistakes you've made. Uh, if you feel like that you're not worthy or the Lord couldn't use you or the Lord couldn't bless you, then that's a lie of the enemy of your soul, of Satan. And he's trying to use sin consciousness in your life to make you feel like you're unworthy uh, so that you uh, don't deserve the blessings of God. But the truth is, we don't deserve anything that God has done for us. <laughs> Can you say amen? Uh, you know, if it's deserved, then it's, uh, it's been worked for. And if it's worked for, it's not grace. And if it's grace, it's not worked for. And God is not the God of works. God is the God of all grace. And grace means that he gives us preferential treatment, that he gives us favor, that he gives us his love, that he gives his kindness, that he does things for us based on his disposition, not based on our performance. Can you say man? And so, uh, you know, our worthiness uh, is... Through Christ's blood, not through our works. Isn't that good news? Praise God. Uh, you know, I heard a lady talk about one time that uh, she was a former hippie that had just lived a really wild, loose life. And, uh, and of course, she accepted Christ as her Savior. But she had a dream one night, and she was uh, uh, in heaven or on the, uh, you know, entry of heaven. And, uh, you know, there was someone asking, on what grounds do you enter the holy city? And uh, there was people that were saying, well, I did such and such, and I did such and such, and I did such and such. And, uh, and, and the reply was, you can't enter. And they got to her in her dream, and they said, on what grounds do you enter the holy city? And she knew she had been, you know, wild <laughs> at times in her life and made a lot of mistakes. And she said, I plead the blood of Jesus as my worthiness to enter. And uh, in her dream, she was like, you may come in. <laughs> And so our entrance, you know, somebody said that there's going to be several surprises about when we get to heaven, and that is, who's there, <laughs> who's not there, <laughs> and the fact that you're there. <laughs> Are you still here? <laughs> 
And so, uh, you know, we need to recognize this morning and emphasize the fact that just like Jesus dealt with this man's uh, sin uh, consciousness before uh, he healed him, that uh, we need to have our sin consciousness and our guilt dealt with through the power of Christ's blood. So we're going to talk this morning about the removal of sin consciousness and the removal of unworthiness and the power that's in the blood of Jesus uh, to establish our righteousness in the sight of God because our worthiness is through the free gift of righteousness that he has given us through the, the price that Christ paid in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's not something that we did or we earned. It's something that Jesus did and was given unto us that was free. And that's why we come to church and we're full of joy and happy and praise God because uh, the Christian life is not about do, do, do. It's about rejoicing in what's been done, done, done. <laughs> Can you say man? And so it's not about us keeping uh, the law and our performance. Uh, you know, thank God for good works. God, the Word of God teaches that we should do good works, and the Word of God teaches that we're going to be rewarded for our good works. But our good works are not the reason that we receive God's eternal life or God's righteousness or God's blessings because the Bible teaches very clear that none of us have cheesed the level of good works uh, that would be the standard of God's glory or his requirements. And uh, so it's not based, again, on our performance. Uh, it's based on what Jesus did. And Jesus is our totality of worthiness. And Jesus is our totality of acceptance. And Jesus, trusting in Christ, faith in Christ, is what makes us worthy. And faith in Christ is what makes us accepted. And it's not based on whether we've crossed every T and dotted every I. So I want to tell you today that you can receive anything that you need. And your faith can be strong because of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ Jesus. And if you exercise faith in Christ's blood, then you are in a position of worthiness to enjoy all of his blessings based on the blood, not based on what you have or haven't done. Sit with me. It's because of the blood of Jesus that I'm made worthy and that I qualify for the goodness and the grace of God. That just makes you fall in love with Jesus, doesn't it? So, uh, again... Uh, go to First John chapter three. First John chapter three. Notice verse twenty. First John chapter three and verse twenty. It says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now the word condemnation is the opposite of what the word of God calls justification. 
you know, these are big terms, but they have simple meanings. Uh, justification, somebody said, means just as if I had never sinned. Right? Uh, justification means acquittal. It's a, a term uh, that would be used in the context of law. And it means a term, uh, justification means you're acquitted or set free or not guilty. Amen? Sit with me. Justification means not guilty. So when the Bible talks about that we're justified, which is the same in the Greek as means saying that we're righteous, that means that we're not guilty. Now, condemnation is just the opposite. Condemnation means guilty or declared guilty or deserving of judgment. You're condemned. And it means you're unacceptable, you're inadequate. How many knows that sometimes a city will condemn a certain property? An old house or something that's not structurally uh, you know, good to live in or that's a uh, fire trap or fire prone, they'll condemn that. And if they condemn it, it means it's unsuitable or unfit for use. Right? I know yesterday I condemned a pair of socks. <laughs> they had a hole in the heel and I was still wearing them and I'm just like these socks are condemned and so I threw them in the trash can they're unacceptable to wear anymore right and uh, the enemy tries to tell you tries to condemn you he's the what you know if you if you go and look at the name of the enemy uh, in the Greek uh, devil is diablo and it means accuser and the enemy's full-time job, if you really know and learn about the devil's nature, uh, you will not want to buddy up with him. His full-time job is to accuse you before God and accuse you before other people to make put a, a law case against you so that you're worthy of punishment or you're guilty. His whole thing is about accusation. If you go back and look in the book of Job, you know, Satan accused Job before the Lord. And the Bible talks about that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so the, one of the ways his tactics of destruction is, is to accuse us to ourselves, accuse us to other people, and try to get us uh, to feel condemned or to feel guilty. Um, the Bible teaches us that God does not condemn us. Now, I've heard people say, you know, man, the Holy Spirit just condemned me. The Holy Spirit does not condemn you. God the Father does not condemn you. You won't find anywhere in the Word of God where God is condemning you or the Holy Spirit is condemning you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He will convict you of what's true. Right? Like if I'm living or doing something that's 
not in my best interest or that sin, he will convict me of the truth that that's wrong, but he's not the one that condemns me for it. The Bible teaches us that it's our own heart that condemns us. Are you still here? I mean, hold your place here in 1 John. We'll come back here. Go to John 3.16, which is familiar scripture with a lot of us, but we're going to read John 3.16 and John 3.17. Say it with me. God doesn't condemn me. Praise God. John 3.16 says, uh, For God did what? So loved the world. Thank God that's you and me. How much did God so love us? Well, here's what, how much so loved he did that he gave his only begotten son, like Brother Lance was sharing early this morning. That's the only thing that he had just one of and was his own precious, uh, most precious thing. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Thank God. Uh, It's faith in what Jesus has done that gives us eternal life, but uh, have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. God sent not his Son. What did Jesus come to do? To condemn the world? No, the Bible says, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't come to condemn us. He actually came so that we could have condemnation removed. Amen? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the Savior, not the condemner. Aren't you glad? Uh, Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Anybody here believe on Jesus this morning? The Bible says if you do, you're not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus did not come to condemn uh, the world, but to save the world. Now back to 1 John where we was. Same person writing 1 John 3, writing uh, John chapter 3. One, the Gospel of John. One, the big epistle of John. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. For if our heart condemn us. So what, who, where's the condemnation come? From our own heart, not from God. If our own heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Notice the rest of this passage. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So you can see confidence toward God associated with no condemnation. Right? If our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence. Well, what if our heart does condemn us? then we don't have confidence. And if we don't have confidence, we will not receive from God. And that's why in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus dealt with the man's sin before so that the man had confidence to receive his healing. 
And God wants to deal with each one of us in the same way. He wants us to have the removal of all guilt and all condemnation and all consciousness or all unworthiness or all inadequacy or all inferiority so that we're in a position of we have confidence in Him because in righteousness there is faith and confidence and in condemnation there is unworthiness and the lack of confidence. Sit with me. There's power in the blood of Jesus when I believe that cleanses me from all unworthiness so that I have boldness and confidence in God's presence and to receive His many blessings and grace in my life. Now, the enemy will work overtime trying to get you into a place of condemnation. And that's why it says in the book of Revelation, it says they overcame him through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Amen? Two things, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Y'all go ahead and put Revelation twelve eleven up. And we'll come back to 1 John 3. You should be getting some things out of this this morning. Uh, Revelation 12, 11, and they did what? They were not overcome by him, but they overcame him. Sit with me, I'm an overcomer. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So two things are necessary to overcome the enemy. Uh, consciousness of the cleansing power and a trust in the cleansing power of uh, the blood of the Lamb. And also, even though you may know about the blood of the Lamb, you can't go around saying, how many knows if you were in a court case, and these things have judicial context, if you're in a court case and, uh, and, uh, you know, and actually the court is rigged, how many knows God is the is our He's the righteous judge, but how many knows also God is your Father, and how many knows that Jesus is uh, uh, He's the advocate or He is the defense lawyer, Amen. But He's also our elder brother, <laughs> and He's the, the defense lawyer. Actually, died for you. Amen? Say it with me. My defense lawyer, my advocate, died sacrificially for me. So the court context is, and these things go on in our mind and in our heart, where the prosecuting attorney, the enemy, the diablo, the accuser, comes and says, you're guilty, you're guilty, you did this, you did that. And... Uh, and of course, the uh, uh, advocate, our our defense attorney, uh, presents the case before the father, and says, uh, you know, he says, Exhibit A, uh, nail scars in my hands, where I hung on the cross as their substitute, stripes on my back, Exhibit B, 
where I took their sicknesses and I bore their diseases. Right? Uh, you know, scars of the, the thorn crown uh, brow that uh, the chastisement of my peace was upon them. And he presents the evidence and he says to the righteous ju uh, judge, I took the full consequences and penalty of all of their uh, lawlessness and of their mistakes, their penalties and their sins, and I suffered as a substitute and died in their place and fully discharged them from any accusation or condemnation of guilt I paid the price with my blood which the life is in the blood so that now they can have eternal life and not have any guilt or any condemnation but how many knows the prosecuting attorney is shrewd and he will come and try to put pressure on you and he will you know uh, he'll go to you on the witness stand and he'll say, now your name is such and such. And uh, yes, and uh, you live at such and such uh, street. And uh, he will bring up uh, photographic memories of you making mistakes. And he'll say, now isn't this you? And didn't you do such and such? And aren't you guilty of this? But here's what you've got to remember. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that the blood of Jesus washes away uh, our sins. And that is just a photograph. I mean, as I can take a photograph of a car that I had 40 years ago, that's not the car. That's a picture of the car. And I, if I don't own the car anymore, I can't drive the car. I don't have a title on the car. It might have got crushed and melted down into another vehicle, and it might be, it might have been a Cadillac then. It might be a Toyota now, <laughs> right? It don't exist anymore, although a picture of it exists. And so the enemy can only bring photographs of your past, and of wrongdoing, but if he can get you, put pressure on the stand, uh, you know, on you and say, this was you, you did such and such, you're guilty. And, and see, Revelation says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and what? The word of their testimony. He's trying to get you constantly to say, I'm unworthy, I'm guilty, uh, I did this, I'm condemned, I don't deserve God's blessings. And that's his trail and his train of thought to get you to confess guilt. And so you're on the stand and he's putting testimony. How many knows that before the trial, Jesus will come to you, even if you've messed up, Jesus will come to you and he'll say to you, now when you get in court, don't say anything but what I said in my word. <laughs> And what does the Word of God say? If we confess our sins, right? He forgives us and does what? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know, Romans 8.1 says, uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No guilt nor no uh, you know, case of worthiness of punishment anymore. 
So when the enemy starts coming to you and starts putting pressure on you, Jesus is telling you, don't say anything but what I said in my word. And what does he say in his word? He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. He was made sin with our sin who knew no sin. Well, if that part of it is true, how many believe Jesus was made sin? Well, the second part is true, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So what? Do you need to sound like, you need to sound like a, a, you need to loop and sound like a broken record on the witness stand with, I am not guilty, I am clean, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And when the enemy comes and said, you did such and such, didn't you? And you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm cleansed by the power of Christ's blood. I have no sin consciousness. And he said, you were there. Uh, let me play this recording of what you said because you said some stuff that was not very Christian. But you know what happened? If you confess that sin, that sin is erased, and when he turns it on, the power of the blood of Jesus, that is a blank tape now. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus? Because, you know, that's why it's called the blood of Jesus in, in Exodus chapter 12. It says they were to put the blood over the door, and that was a shadow or a type of the blood of Jesus. And what happened when they applied the blood? The destroyer had to what? Pass over. And 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5 says, or 1 Corinthians 5 says, Jesus is our Passover. So the enemy, the destroyer, the accuser of the brethren, he has to pass over when you exercise faith in the blood of Jesus. Say it with me. The enemy, the destroyer, has to pass over. He, in other words, he does not have excess. You know, old saints used to talk about pleading the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood. Well, what does plead the blood mean? Plead the blood means to exercise faith in the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that removes all sin so that without sin or sin consciousness, the enemy does not have a legal right or excess to get into your life. Like the woman going into heaven. How did she get in? Uh, she knew she'd made a lot of mistakes. She said, I plead the blood. How are we, you know, uh, you know, the whole type of the blood, you remember in the spies, uh, when uh, the spies, uh, Rahab was hiding the spies in Joshua, uh, how did they, how did they get, how did they escape? It said that they were, she let down a scarlet rope, and that's a type of Jesus. How, how do we get out of the city of darkness and sin and satanic uh, control and government? Uh, it's by the scarlet thread, uh, the, the power of the blood of Christ Jesus. You know, all we are and all we have claim to as heirs of God and joint 
heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. None of it is dependent on our performance. It's all dependent upon Jesus' performance. And Jesus did not sin and was perfect. And that's credited to your account in heaven. And when God looks at you today, He sees you and I who are trusting in the blood of Jesus justified, or He sees us just as if we had never sinned. God sees you righteous. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. And God sees you as righteous as Jesus is because uh, Jesus' righteousness is a free gift. It's not something we earn or we merit or we deserve. I got thinking about merit, you know, a little bit before uh, coming to minister this morning and uh, you know, uh, I thought about Eagle Scouts and Boy Scouts, and, you know, they earn merit badges, right? Uh, this kind of badge and that kind of badge. And they have to do a bunch of work and do projects uh, that merit or earn those things, right? Well, you know, uh, I've got unmerited badges this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still here this morning? I got eternal life unmerited. I have healing and health unmerited. I have prosperity unmerited. I have authority over the devil unmerited. I've got the badge, but I didn't do anything. Jesus did all the works for it and then gave me the badge. So I got all kinds of badges on my vest this morning of eternal life, of, of, of grace, uh, of authority, of prosperity, of healing, of no condemnation, of strength in the Lord, of everything that He has provided as far as my inheritance. And, and I'm just got, I've got all, I, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I've got all the unmerited badges this morning. <laughs> I mean, those being the Lord Scout is a whole lot better than being an Eagle Scout. Because <laughs> you get all the badges through what Jesus did, not through what you merited. You know, there's a story that, that illustrates this uh, that came back to me this morning, and I've used it and told it before about grace and how beautiful and amazing grace is and the goodness of the Lord. And it was about a story that was told about uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, who, you know, was a, a conquering general that they had conquered army after army after army and had pretty much taken over all of uh, that area of Europe and Asia. And the story is told that, uh, that at one point he was reviewing the troops and he was on a horse, a steed that was very spirited and strong and and uh, the horse was stamping and prancing and, and uh, just full of, you know, uh, nervous energy. He was a real high-spirited steed, like a racehorse. And, uh, and so as he's uh, reviewing the troops, a long line of the army troops, he's reviewing them and looking at them as he goes down and they're at attention. Uh, the story goes that the horse began to act up and start to rear up and to buck and was Napoleon was about to fall off the horse and the horse was just prancing in circles and rearing up and a private 
uh, that was in the review line stepped forward and got a hold of the reins and got the horse under control and brought him, got his bridle, pulled him back down and got the horse calmed down. And the story goes, this uh, private that did this, that Napoleon leaned down and said to him, uh, he said, thank you, Captain. <laughs> and he said, Captain of what? And he said, Captain of my personal guard. And at first, the story goes that the other officers kind of shunned him because they had all come up through the battlefield by doing all these things and had proven themselves and had a performance of, of works that had qualified them for their position. But uh, uh, they found out that this young man was actually favored, say favored, by Napoleon and that he had conferred upon him captainship just because of one courageous deed that he did. And I'm, I got to thinking about that uh, this morning. I was like, okay, the one thing that we did do is we stepped out in courage, believing the good news of the gospel that what Jesus did is the truth. And in you stepping out and believing that what Christ did uh, the Lord gave you and promoted you through His favor and through His goodness into all the spiritual blessings and grace based on what Jesus had done. Can you say man? And so, I'm worthy today not because of what I've done. I'm worthy because of what Jesus has done. But we also need to remember that uh, we don't need to spend all of our time thinking about how unworthy we are. Uh, we're to be caught up in, you know, I mean, that young man could have went around telling everybody, well, I'm so unworthy of him promoting me to captain. I just don't know. Uh, I just, you know, never will be able to act like a captain. I just, you know, I'm so unworthy. No, he could dwell on his unworthiness or he could dwell on, at that point in this story, Napoleon's favor and said, man, my commanding officer is uh, really good. I didn't deserve that, but man, he poured it all on me and gave me and promoted me and blessed me, Right? And so you don't want to get caught up, although we recognize our unworthiness, we want to, don't want to get caught up and yield to, uh, you know, be self-focused. We want to be Jesus-centered and Jesus-focused and thinking about how blessed we are that he did to this, not thinking about how all undeserving we are. It's all right to know you're undeserving and you're unmeriting for the function of it actually magnifying the amazing grace and the favor of God and showing how loving he is, but you don't want to dwell on the un, uh, undeserving and the unworthiness. You want to dwell on the goodness and the love and the gracious favor and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sit with me. He's good. Really, really good. He so loved me that he shed his blood, washed away my sins, and now I have no condemnation 
and I am truly worthy by grace to receive all of His goodness and all of His blessings. Now these things are just, this is the good news of the gospel. Actually, the good news of the gospel is we didn't deserve what we have, but not only we didn't deserve what we have, we don't get what we do deserve. So it's a double thing. I don't get, I don't get what I do deserve, but I do get what I didn't deserve. That ought to make somebody smile on Sunday morning. <laughs> but when you've received the goodness and the grace of God, there should be a blessedness of happiness in your life that gets you out of being a religious person that's trying to do a bunch of do's and don'ts. Oh, I've got to not do this and do do this. And no, i got a whole commandment book. of No, just forget all the commandment book and focus on the love of God and the grace of God and the empowering of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in your life will lift you into the kind of life where you're constantly giving thanks and giving praise to God for His gracious goodness. And that will actually empower you to live a joy-filled grace grace-based life, which is not a religious servitude. Can you say amen? And it'll actually cause God to be given glory because the Bible talks about over and over about to the praise of the glory of His grace. So if I'm focused on His grace, then I'm going to be praising God and it's going to keep my faith active, and it's also going to cause me to enjoy and receive and walk in the fullness of the blessings that He's provided for me. Amen? I mean, if you think God is out, you know, killing your relatives and, uh, you know, burning your house down and, and uh, you know, uh, he's got a big fly swatter and a big baseball bat, and he takes turns. Sometimes he uses a baseball bat on you. Sometimes he uses a big fly swatter on you. And he's an angry old man in heaven that's just bitter and trying to swat you and look for stuff in your life to judge you. Uh, that is totally wrong. The Bible says God is for us, not against us. I mean, if he wanted to be against us, all he'd have to do is keep Jesus in heaven to make our life go down. We'd just go down the tube very fast. But he so loved us and was so for us and so in aggressively in his love to bless us and to provide for us, he gave the very best thing he had in an active, um, almost a militant love to seek us out and to wash all of our sins away and to bring us back into fellowship with him so we could enjoy. You're not going to fellowship and draw near to God if you've got sin consciousness. Sin consciousness and guilt will cause you to draw back and fear. You won't come to God. But righteousness conscious, the power of the blood of Jesus and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus where condemnation causes you to draw back in fear, the cleansing power of righteousness and of Christ's blood causes you to come in and to draw near. The Bible talks about in Hebrews that there's blood 
uh, shed on the holy seat of, of the mercy seat, which is the, the which is the very core of the holies of holies, where God's presence is, and it said having boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus. It also says, you know, because we've got a high priest that shed his blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. It said, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can come into heaven with boldness this morning. Not arrogance, but I can come in boldly because of Jesus' blood and the perfection and the power of Christ's blood is greater than anything I haven't been or anything that I haven't done. And I'm trusting the cleansing power of that blood to perfect me and make me just as if I had never sinned. And God sees me in Christ today with His very own righteousness. And so when I come in, I don't have any inferiority. I don't have any inadequacy. I am made complete in Christ Jesus, it said in Colossians 2. So I enter in as a son of God, justified, cleansed, made righteous, without any little particle of condemnation or guilt through the power of the blood of Jesus. I belong in God's presence. I am invited into God's presence. I have confidence in God's presence because I have faith in the cleansing power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my faith is in Christ as a person, but not just in Christ as a person, my faith is also in the power of His blood. They overcame the accuser of the brethren, how? By the blood of the Lamb. And the enemy says, now that's you, you messed up, you did this, you did that. And if you break down on the witness and stand and say, oh my God, I did all that stuff, I'm so guilty, I'm a sinner, I'm wicked, then the, the prosecuting attorney says, I rest my case. Because how many knows that even though the Father wants to set you free, and your defense attorney has pleaded your case and shown exhibits that exonerated you from all accusation of sin, if you confess guilt, then the Father has nothing to do but say, He's guilty because you've confessed to guilt your own self. Right? And the devil wins, and you're under, you're in the bondage of, of sin consciousness and condemnation. But if after Jesus presents his exhibits and say, he, this one is clean through my blood, and the devil accuses you of stuff and says, you get up and say, that stuff don't exist anymore. I pled the blood of Jesus, and it's cleansed and all gone. I'm not guilty. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what the Father does? He taps a gavel down on the bench and said, you know, evidence presented and even the testimony, the own witness is in agreement, not guilty. The prisoner may leave free. The prisoner, the, the, all price has been paid. He's redeemed. He's not guilty. He's acquitted. And you walk out and the devil is sad and you're glad. <clears throat> Say it with me this morning. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Worthy to receive through the cleansing power of Christ's blood. Amen. 
Well, we're going to stop there. There's a lot more to this than what we've talked about, about righteousness and how righteousness affects our life. But, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, let's just conclude with uh, Romans 10. How are we made righteous? Well, we've talked about it, but let's just read here in Romans 10. Because the good news, it says in Romans 1, is the power of God unto salvation. For therein, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So, Uh, The whole gospel is centered around the subject of our being declared righteous. Romans chapter 10, we'll read this passage in closing. Romans 10, 1, uh, Paul was praying for Israel, which he was an Israelite here, but they were hung up with doing the works of the law, right? He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they're zealous, but they're not doing it according to knowledge. Listen to this. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Say God's righteousness. So God has a righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness. Say their own righteousness. So you've got two kinds of righteousness here. Mankind establishing his own righteousness and God's righteousness. Uh, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Listen at verse 4. For Christ is what? The end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So we're not trusting in the law to make us righteous. Right? Uh, We're trusting in Christ to make us. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, this is God's kind of righteousness, trusting in Christ, speaks on this wise, Say not in your heart, who shall go up into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. It's not about us doing something. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? This is the word of righteousness. The word is nigh thee or near thee, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, and this is how we're made righteous, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now, he couldn't be raised from the dead until all the penalty was paid. Right? It had to be completely cleared out, and he had to be accepted completely with God to be back invited into heaven. And he was actually our representative. But it says that, uh, that uh, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead uh, and confess with thy mouth, Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Not 
with works man does performance unto righteousness. It says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do we get saved this morning? We get saved this morning by believing in our heart the good news of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and paid the full penalty and that after he completely uh, erased that penalty in the eyes of justice, he was uh, declared acquitted, uh, uh, full price paid, and that God the Father raised him from the dead. And now he rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, our resurrected Savior and Lord. And if you believe that, and you say, I believe that Christ died for my sins. I confess Him as my personal Savior. I'm putting my trust and confidence what He did to make me righteous and cause me to be accepted and cause me to be pleasing in God's eyes. Then the Bible says, you have eternal life and you're born again and you have the God kind of righteousness which is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's given to you as a free gift. That's good stuff. The only way you can get it is through Jesus. If you've never accepted that righteousness this morning, or if you are out of fellowship with the Lord, uh, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Nobody should leave here today with any sense of, of inadequacy, of guilt, or condemnation. Every one of us should go out of here with a consciousness of righteousness in the cleansing power of Christ's blood. How do you receive it? By simply believing that God is good and it's given to you just because you ask Him. Praise God. We're going to pray, and then we're going to see the Lord's Supper together. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your provision of eternal life of redeeming love in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe that He died personally as my substitute. That You canceled all my sins and all the penalty associated with them in Christ Jesus. That He was judged in my place paid the full price, and now I'm acquitted, I'm set free, I'm not guilty, I am just as if I had never sinned. I believe the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God's Word to save me and make me righteous. And by your own standard and your own method to make me righteous, I believe and cooperate fully. I trust Christ.
and His work and His cleansing blood to make me white, cleansed of all blot, and made clean in your eyes. I receive that forgiveness. I receive that eternal life. I thank you that now that I'm your child and I stand before you without guilt, without condemnation, with no unworthiness. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Now, the Bible says, they that call on the Lord, and we just did, what will happen? They shall be saved. And so we can, on the authority of God's Word, say it. If you did that out of your heart, you are saved. Say it with me. I am saved, have eternal life, and am made right in God's eyes. Amen. Praise God, ushers, come forward.